Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, your host. On today's show, we'll talk about Isaiah Stokes' departure from the program. He's entered the transfer portal. Uh, why that might have happened, what went into that, um, what it means for Florida from a basketball standpoint, who might replace him. We will discuss all those issues, and then we take about half an hour of listener questions, um, which is always our favorite part of the show. So we appreciate you sending them in. And uh, there's some recruiting in there. There's some SEC overview in there. There's some offense with Blackshear in there. Just a lot of topics that uh, are fun to get into. So thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's show. Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. I am with, as often is the case, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We are going to talk about uh, more roster changes, which I think is somewhat surprising. Um, you know, and I don't want to, I want to like bury the lead on it um, with with why it's not too surprising, I guess, to me. Like, I don't know. It's kind of weird because. The news that Isaiah Stokes is leaving the program uh, hits two ways, Eric, for me. And, of course, interested in your take, and I'm sure the listeners are too. Um, one, it's surprising because Isaiah put a lot of work in to get his body right uh, with Preston Green. And that was kind of a topic that not just you know Chris Harry and people around the program wrote about, but people in the program said, you know, hey, Isaiah's worked really hard. Uh, at least in the weight room. Um, that said, to some extent, you know, I think there's an argument that Isaiah Stokes was always a weird, kind of a weird take for this program, just in terms of what they want to do. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think at the time, of course, Florida was looking for a big in the class. So uh, it obviously was, uh, you know, you see when you can get in your state at but I'm Gene and Isaiah Stokes and it's, it's an interesting player to go after. And um, here's one thing that I think is kind of interesting and should probably be thought about in the future for players like Isaiah Stokes. Um, uh, I think a lot of people see a player that has a, a skill set like him. That's like really different that you don't, you know, see very often in basketball now. And, and that was probably part of the reason that Florida really wanted him. And one thing that I've kind of learned, uh, I feel is that if there's, not a clear player archetype for someone you're looking to take more times than not. Um, he's not going to turn out to be a, a great player. And what, what I mean is if you look around the sec or you will look around college basketball on a whole, how many players similar to Isaiah Stokes are there on, on any winning teams? There's, there's really not, there's not many six foot seven, six foot eight, 260 pound or whatever you would call the ideal playing weight. Um, uh, plays below the rim power post-up players there's just really not a lot of them so when you look at Isaiah Stokes you say okay either we are going to redefine the way that you win in power five basketball or it's not going to work out and I think that that's something that uh, I kind of thought about in terms of it, like that yeah maybe it was a weird take because when you see that there's not a lot of players like this that have worked out that you're currently seeing playing at a high level in the power five level of college basketball Maybe that's uh yeah, maybe it was a little bit more likely that it wasn't gonna work out of Florida than than was going to work out. So uh, you know, I kinda wanna build on that because you know, I don't want people to listen and be like, Well, Neil just said it was a weird take and then 
didn't really expand on that, you know, like conceptually, I guess. Um, so I just think it's kind of weird for what Florida wants to do defensively, if that makes sense. Like, I think, I think that, that when you take a guy like, like Isaiah, you get kind of people fell in love with the offensive skill set, even though the production wasn't there. Cause you figured in, in, you know, another year or two, maybe even as soon as next season, with a little bit of lightweight, there's all that skill there. And, you know, oh, cool, you've got a guy that can really score it in the post, right? Um, but to me, you know, he was always a problem in terms of because of the weight things, he wasn't going to be able to defend the pick and roll uh, particularly well. All young bigs struggle with that, but Stokes was going to have real big problems with it. And he doesn't have four or five versatility, which other than John Bunu, this program is kind of valued in the big men that they've recruited, Eric. To me, that was just, uh, I guess, a little bit – that made it a little bit strange um, to begin with. I, I, You know, I also think that there's an argument, and, and we're kind of measured with the way that we'll criticize like, the coaching staff on this podcast, as anybody who listens knows. Um, you know, Florida, Florida's staff has just gotten better at recruiting, I think. And I think that this, like, this was an interesting one because – they had two bigs on their list that year, uh, and they missed on them both. One was uh, Gino Abeke that went to Vanderbilt, and the other one was Chumo Akeke who went to Auburn. <laughs> so I think that they kind of reached on Stokes a little bit despite the injury because they really wanted a high-profile big in the class. And I hate to say, I, you know, I, I know that sounds cynical. Like, no, no, you don't necessarily look at recruiting rankings and say, oh, we're just going to take that guy. But I guess it's a way of me saying, I'm not sure that as a staff, this was somebody that they necessarily valued until very late in the process. And maybe they elevated his value because they needed to fill a spot. Well, I think one thing that also was enticing about his skill set that we just really didn't see in his kind of one year playing at Florida uh, was the jump shot. And I do think that really matters because, I mean, when yeah. you looked at what he did in, in, in high school, it wasn't like he was a ridiculous three-point shooter, but he was a capable one. And I think that um, that really would change things for him where it was uh, if you have a guy that, yeah, is able to maybe score a little bit in the post, but also just park himself in the corner and, and hit an open three or, or pick and pop. And unfortunately, we just – I didn't see that at all. And, and I think that, and, and I certainly, I, I'm not speaking for the coaching staff. I do not know this as a fact, but I, I would assume that there was probably some belief that he would be able to stretch the floor a little bit. And we really just, um, really just didn't see that. Yeah. And I mean, look, uh, I think, you know, they, they really did go toe to toe with, with Vandy for Ajiki Obina, who I know people are going to gonna think that's kind of weird. Um <laughs> Because, you know, that guy has kind of struggled too, but he's had an injury. Um, so it wasn't the first guy. Uh, and like Eric said, there are reasons that they kind of valued it. But in the end, um, once Florida got Kerry Blackshear, I think the writing was kind of, obviously the writing was on the wall, but it's pretty clear that Isaiah Stokes evaluated what his season looked like and evaluated the way that the staff in particular seems to value Dante Bassett. And realize, hey, man, minutes are really going to be slim. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be a fourth-year player that's hardly played. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get into this uh, too deeply. But <laughs> um, I, I do not think this was 
a one-way kind of street of Isaiah Stokes deciding he was going to leave. I do think that there was uh, maybe some other factors um, coming from uh, coming from the team and the staff that uh, also just made it where it kind of seemed like this relationship wasn't going to work. So I do not think this was just um, Isaiah Stokes seeing the situation and moving out, but it is clear that the situation was not uh, great for him. I mean, I would say he's behind Bassett in the depth chart. We obviously saw that from, from last year. Bassett played more. And then uh, I think that if you look at the last, you know, two years ago, Gak, who still wasn't playing, uh, he wasn't even totally healthy then. But I think the production he put up was um, was better than even Bassett's from last year, as you and me have talked about. So I would say that also yeah. would safely put him ahead in the depth chart. Um, you know, Omar Payne, uh, Jason Jatobo on the back back end, kind of they're going to be fighting hard for minutes. And and I do think he, the basketball situation was not great for Stokes. There's no question. And uh, yeah, now we we, uh, we see what's next for him. So um, kind of one final note on Stokes departing before we talk about what Florida might do. Uh, that means that the entire 2017 recruiting class is gone. Um, I had kind of two thoughts on this. So it was a top 20 class. It was their first top 20 class. Yeah, obviously their first class was ranked uh, in and around. I guess their first class was actually in the top 22 because it was Kayvon Allen and Kavari Hayes and all those guys. But it was the first one that they recruited that was in the top 20, uh, entirely their evaluations. Um, and so I think I said, what did I say, Eric? I wanted to say two things about it. I want to yes. say three. Okay. Yeah, I lied. Um, one is it's really important to have a long time to evaluate players. <laughs> this is kind of a case in point. I think Chase Johnson was probably the evaluation they felt the best about, and injuries kind of derailed that. Uh, that's just my opinion. Eric might have a different one. No, I, I'm, I was a believer in Chase Johnson. I, 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 I was going to, I actually was, I mean, I was going to ask you, actually, I don't want to interrupt your point here, but uh, no, no, I, I, mean, go I ahead. was, I was going to ask if you think that, um, uh, if you think that Florida made any mistakes with their recruiting class and the way it's worked out, or if you think it was just all a, um, yeah, all just, I guess, bad luck to what, or for each player, if you had kind of thoughts about that. Um, and what you think you might have like, they might have learned kind of as they move forward in recruiting. And I know well, you mentioned one thing there with, um, no, it's yeah, good. with, uh, with uh, you know, using a lot of time to evaluate. Well, I like the way that Eric framed the question better than me just going, I have three points. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so my first point is I do think that there's value in lengthier evaluations, like more fixed and transformed staffs can do better. I, and I'm interested on your thoughts on it, but I think that they reached on Michael Caro because of Shea Alexander. And I think that they reached on Isaiah Stokes because of maybe they fell in love with that three-point shot. Maybe they liked his last name. Maybe they wanted a highly touted big for the class. Uh, but I, I, I can tell you that he was third on their list at, at a minimum. Um, and, you know, one guy, Obina signs with Vanderbilt, Keke signs with Auburn, Miss Miss. And so uh, – that's why I got such a big laugh out of Bruce Pearl's pep talk, like not to get down that rabbit hole, but like the no one recruited us pep talk. I'm like, no one recruited Chuma Keke harder than our staff. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so those were the two that I kind of really, really feel that way about. Um, I, you, you and I have talked about DeAndre Ballard a lot. It was always a risky guy. Like, I feel like he was kind of boomer bust, but nobody would have. But remember, he was the highest ranked player in, in at least one recruiting service in the class, Ballard. And, you know, he just really 
profiled as a guy who could score better than ultimately he could. And I still think he's going to be a good player. I know uh, the jury's going to be out on that, but I think he'll be a very good mid-major player. Chase Johnson was really, really good in summer ball last year, guys. <laughs> like, you know, just I think that the the second injury just, you know, I think from a mental health standpoint, I think is mostly what that was about. Yeah, I mean, I, the one thing that's really interesting about Okaru to me is I think a lot of times people, um, this is kind of a common trait where people say like, hey, don't look at stats, like look at who does what, what it takes to win. That's, that's, you know, a pretty common like people who want to be like, oh, everyone's always looking at stars and uh, really you should be looking about those kind of intangibles. And I mean, when you look at Michael Caro, it was like he wasn't someone who put up crazy numbers in high school. He played for a very good winning basketball team. So I do find it kind of funny because like that's pretty common. Um, that's kind of pretty common thing from people who uh, don't want to gas up like four and five star players. They say like, oh, like those are, you know, playing selfishly on the AAU circuit. Like you want guys that win and um, contribute to winning basketball. I mean, well, <laughs> looking at that, Okaru was a great take because, I mean, he was someone who who played uh, who played on a very winning basketball team and con- and was a contributor. So I, I think I look at the staff there and I say like, hey, like they did. Uh, I, I would say they like it wasn't. I obviously say this as someone who didn't watch Okaru a ton in high school, but I look at, Hey, there's a lot of people who say, Hey, don't look at the stars. Look at who does things to win. And I mean, you look at Okaru and it's like, Hey, he did a lot of those things to win and it still didn't work out. And that just shows why recruiting 16 and 17 and 18 year old kids is tough. That it just kind of shows what's going on. But um, I'll ask you this, Neil. I'll first, I think I know the answer to this one um, of who you maybe think uh, kind of hurt. I should say, I guess hurts, hurts you the most that Florida lost. And I'll ask who do you think will go on to have the best, uh, the best career of the transfers out? So I think that the answer to both questions is Chase Johnson. Um, but I think that it could be DeAndre Ballard on the second one. Um, and it could be Isaiah Stokes on the second one. <laughs> really, you know, like I think one of those three will have the best career. I still like Chase because he's basically a top 50 player in some services. And so, you know, certainly at most a top 70 player um, and was really, really good in, in summer ball, like I said. So, you know, you know it's there. It's interesting that of the four, Mike Okaru probably leaves the program as the one who had the largest impact on the court. Um, he had a very good freshman season, played good defenses in a lot of stretch, good defense in a lot of stretches. Um, you know, you didn't really get anything from anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> to be quite honest, uh, you got some nice minutes from DeAndre Ballard against North Florida in November, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a month of DeAndre Ballard scoring against bad opponents. Um, so I think there's kind of that element to it. Uh, and then Ballard, you know, played pretty well in the first round of the NCAA tournament in mop-up time and got yelled at for dunking on St. Bonaventure. <laughs> so I, like that's kind of like my memories of that class, which is wild. The other thing I'll say, Eric, is like if you lose a whole recruiting class early in your tenure as a staff, a lot of times that means you're gonna, you're getting fired or at high risk of getting fired, quite honestly. Mm. Like you just don't recover from that as a program, even in this era of of massive transfers. This staff has turned it into like this opportunity to flip the roster and now is pretty much a consensus top 10, top 15 team. Pretty remarkable. Yeah, this is not what you normally see for sure. And especially um, 
going back to the fact it was a top 20 class. I mean, this wasn't, it's not like this was some class full of flyers that, that didn't work out. I mean, uh, obviously we think there are a couple little flyers, but yeah, I, I do think that, that just, um, that this is quite atypical. And I think, yeah, if you said, if you would have told me, um, early in Mike White's kind of tenure, if you're like, Hey, they're going to lose this entire recruiting class. Um, I would have been horrified for the future, but, um, you know, things are very hopeful for the future. And, um, yeah, I, I was going to ask you one more, one more question, Neil. Sure. Um, there are a whole lot of Isaiah Stokes fans. I would, I, I thought that Okaru might be the player that had the most kind of fans and believers that was leaving the program. Um, I think it actually might be Stokes. Uh, what do you tell those people? So I think, I think that's a great question. And I wanted your answers on who's going to have the best career moving forward, your speculation. So I'm going to flip it back to you in a second. But sure. uh, to the Stokes people, I would say that what happened to him last year was the right decision by the staff, as much as you are upset about it. Uh, that that for all the offensive skill, Kamari says was still a far more efficient offensive player. Um, and that Stokes forced everybody to play zone defense, which the staff doesn't really like to do. So, and I think judging by the reaction we got on Twitter, when we just kind of mentioned that he was leaving, <laughs> it, it's clear that he has the most supporters. Uh, yeah. Upsides there. Yeah. Massive credit to him for, for improving his body. Like Eric said, I think there's some other stuff that was going on off the court. I, I think it was bi-directional in terms of, you know, Hey, I want to leave. Hey man, maybe you should find somewhere else to go. Um, and I'd say to them, you know, it's almost in a different way than the Chase Johnson thing. I think it'll be good for everybody to just kind of move on. I guess that would be my message. Yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't really jump in just because I'm the same as you. I think it's Johnson and Johnson for the <laughs> answer to those questions. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm not really too scared of, I, and I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound rude. I don't want to sound like I'm kicking Isaiah Stokes on the way out the door. Um, but like, if he goes to Tennessee, uh, I'm not really scared of that. Like, right, I'm not right. going to be scared to play him. And, um, and I know a lot of people are going to say like, Oh, like, uh, you know, like, well, if he gets like, you can't really look at any of his numbers now as any indication of the future because, um, he was overweight. But I mean, just for people who are big believers in his skill, I mean, I, I once again, I, 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 I'm not trying to just be rude and kick the guy on his way out, <laughs> but he was in the 20th percentile on post-ups last year at 0.628 points per possession. Um, the Gators were kind of like 0.9 Ugh. as a team and in a knock it offensive year. And he was at 6.628. And that was his, uh, that was his number one uh-huh. kind of, that was number one skill, the most shots um, in box plus minus. He was the only minus player on the roster um, box plus minus for those who don't know, that's kind of a little bit of an indication of like, on average, are you um, adding or taking away points from your team when you're on the floor? Um, literally every Gator other than the walk-ons was in the positives other than Isaiah Stokes. He was in the negatives. Um, so he was in negatives there. Um, he was last in offensive win shares at 0.0. He was the only player without an offensive win share. He was last in the team in defensive win shares. Um, so off even offensive but offensive plus box plus minus he was last in the team so um he actually wasn't last in defensive box plus minus he was ahead of noah Locke and deandre ballard so that's a that's an interesting one but anyways um i i just really think that and and uh i, I know that there are some definite times where he showed like hey nice he can drop his shoulder and and put it put in a baby hook and there's definitely some merit to that 
but I, I, he just really did not show me a lot that would indicate to me like, wow, I really think something is there. And uh, once again, I, like I said before, I just don't see an archetype for him in kind of modern college basketball. Um, and I think when you see a player who's just completely like, like there's just no comparison for Isaiah Stokes right now in, in college basketball playing at a high level. So it's like either Isaiah Stokes is going to break the mold of basketball or he's not going to be a huge impact starter. So I would say that I would bank more on the fact that he's probably not a power five starter than the fact that he's going to break the mold of college basketball. <laughs> so let's let, let me, and I think that that answers this question. I was pumped to ask it. and Now you've kind of answered it already, Oh, sorry. but like, no, no, it's okay. Uh, Cause that was a lot of good analysis. What was, what, who would be, who would be the guy that like, like say Florida first round of the NCAA tournament. All right. Uh, Florida's a four seed, other teams, a 13 seed. Like which guy would you be more afraid of if they transfer and they're on the 13? Is it Isaiah Stokes or it is DeAndre Ballard? Cause it's not close to me. I mean, uh, while also being with the caveat of, I'm not much of a DeAndre Ballard <laughs> fan. Um, I think it might be him. So, uh, cause I, <laughs> Yeah, I I would say DeAndre Ballard, I guess, would be my answer to that question. Because DeAndre could hit, like, five 19-foot jump shots that are all contested. And you'd be like, yep. Well, once again, going back to my, like, player archetype kind of model, um, there's a lot of, of, you know, good athlete six-foot-five wings that are very effective in college basketball. And many of them aren't even that skilled, necessarily. Um, They can attack a closeout. They can defend. Um, And so if DeAndre Ballard, while I'm not a big fan of his game and over what he's done in the last two years um if he develops the ability which he actually did at really early in the season and then went totally away from it was attack closeouts so if he becomes a six foot five guard wing that can attack a closeout and defend his position um he could have value on pretty much any team in the country and, and teams always need wings that can kind of defend and do some stuff away from the ball when they catch it um so there there is a little bit more of a clear path to him becoming a a, a solid player to me so <clears throat> let's kind of transition to uh, to what Florida might do. And you wrote an article about a player that they are evaluating. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I would uh, – I'd be pretty comfortable saying I've watched more um, Tyree Appleby film than anyone this year. <laughs> maybe <laughs> in the last couple of days. I was – I've been uh, – you know, maybe it's just because it's the off season, partially because I'm intri- incredibly intrigued by his skill set. But, uh, yeah, I've been all over Tyree Appleby film the last uh, couple of days, and I feel like I've now watched – well, I've definitely watched every field goal he's made and every assist he's had, so uh, for starters. and uh, So let's back it up. Let's back it up. Who is Tyree Appleby? Tyree Appleby is a guard, 6'1", 165 pounds, for the Cleveland State Vikings. Vikings, I all believe. Right. And, and what is his tie to Mike White? So um, his brother Raheem played for Mike White at uh, Louisiana Tech, so there's some familiarity there. And and you like you like what you've seen on on film, definitely. So uh, he is definitely a player. This is you know if you, he just has that innate ability to score that is just insane. So I mean, just like if you look at just his raw numbers, he averaged five point six assists per game and over seventeen points a game. And uh, yes, that is in the Horizon League. That was terrible, um, and Cleveland State was quite bad. So there's definitely something to be said there. But um, if you also look at a little more of his, uh, his number, and, and so one thing too is he was a 38.8% three-point shooter, 
um, he hardly had catch and shoot attempts. He had like 40 catch and shoot threes this season, which wow. is crazy how few it is. So these are like difficult off the dribble three pointers that he is shooting at a very, very um, efficient rate. So, um, and that's something that people who listen to the podcast, read my work, know is that like three point percentages are not always equal. So saying that a lot of his are off the dribble, um, that is very intriguing. Um, right. His, uh, so his assist, you know, 5.6 per game sounds pretty good. Um, you look at his assist rate, it's 37.4, which is 12th in the country. So for a reference point, Andrew Nemhart is 32% assist rate. So his assist rate is tremendous. It's even better than Andrew Nemhart's, obviously different levels again. And uh, yeah, so I just see, you see, you watch Tyree Appleby play. He's just got a killer crossover. Um, some Allen Iverson in him for sure. Can shoot off the dribble. Um, really, really good passer. Um, but yeah, he's small. There's no question. He's really slight. Um, not always a great defender because of it. But he is just uh, he's one of the highest usage players in the country um, and was able to be efficient while doing it. His uh, his assist numbers are great. Um, Some people will look. I think he averaged three point four turnovers per game and a couple people young player. Well, actually, and I'll, I'll add in. So he was one of the highest usage players in the country. So his turnover rate was actually twenty point six, which as another comparison, Andrew Nemhart was at twenty two. So okay. he actually, so his actual turnover rate was less than Andrew Nemhart's. So, so some people are going to look at his turnover rate and be scared, but you actually should not be because if you look at his turnover rate and see the fact that he was involved in so many possessions, his turnovers aren't actually that bad. Um, so yeah, I would say he's someone who is really electric with the basketball in his hands. He's incredibly quick and uh, is just a very intriguing player. There's no question. Okay. So is he, what's, what's going on? I mean, is, is this a guy that they think that, that will visit is there what's planned yeah so i definitely think a visit's on the way talking to uh to appleby um he's from arkansas originally he had an arkansas visit um planned for earlier this week he ended up canceling it last minute so that's kind of interesting i i do think it <laughs> might turn into a uh might turn into a um might you know maybe must. yeah well i think it might turn into him like maybe doing like a black like so i mean like black who never actually took an official visit to florida just because he didn't really need to um, because he gets used close enough to take an unofficial. And I think there might be an element to that because, I mean, he's currently in his home in Jacksonville, Arkansas. Um, so uh, he might just not use an official visit and, or and might do it another time. But, uh, yeah, Florida is definitely in the mix here. And, uh, you know, you look, at, you look forward to, uh, to two years because Appleby would be, a, would be a sit one, play two. Um, you look at, you know, probably Andrew Nemhart's gone after this, this year. And you know what? I, I, I think there's a chance Trey Mann is too. And I know some people are going to find that – just like they're going to laugh at that. They're going to be like, come on now. Um, but hey, there's, there's a chance. And I mean, uh, there's a chance he just wants to go pro. And I think he is eyeing a one and done season. So if he's gone, it wouldn't shock me. So getting some uh, kind of veteran um, depth in the, in the, at the point guard position can't hurt. And I think, again, you see that he is, um, you know, he plays in a low major conference or mid major, whatever you want to say. Um, it was not a very good team in a not very good conference. And uh, but he absolutely dominated it, just absolutely dominated competition there. So I do think um, you see his slight frame and you say like, hey, with, uh, with the redshirt year and transfer year to Florida, um, he could do, uh, do something similar maybe at the SEC. So I think, you know, and I, yeah, I don't know about uh, – I don't know what will happen with Trey Mann. Like I still would anticipate him being back for his right. sophomore year, but you have seen him on some – he's occasionally on draft boards. And you're like, oh. Um, so, you know, I think, I think, but there's, there's certainly a chance that like, that's the thing. If you have a huge season, 
there's always the chance that like a mass exodus doesn't just include Keontae Johnson. It includes mm. Keontae Johnson and Trey Mann from like what we're expecting it to be, which is Scotty Lewis and Andrew Nimard. And if you listen to the pod prior to the Blackshear saga, we appreciate you. Uh, if you're new, we appreciate you. But the point I'm making is a prior to the Blackshear stuff, which is where Eric and I talked about how they've got to recruit another point guard, even though they signed Quest Glover, because they want to have multiple ball handling guards on the roster, right? Um, so we we talked about, well, well, will they get a grad transfer? This really is just as good as that and arguably better because you get, what, two years of him? So um, so I think that's that's a good thing. What I would say about it is uh, it does change the way that they recruit 2020, I think, a little bit, just because – um, they wouldn't be signing any small guards. Now that said, because of roster balance, right, Eric? But I think that that they probably evaluated, and you know, the the support staff guys that really crunch all that stuff, they're probably looking at it like, well, we didn't really have any small guards on our board to begin with, so they were going to bring in if they when they if and when they sign a guard, it was always going to be a wing or a big guard like Jalen Suggs. So you keep that balance of having, you know, some big guards like Florida has now with Nimhard and Mann and some small guards, which Florida has now with, with uh, Quez Glover. Yeah, and I mean, small guards are also kind of tough to figure out which ones translate and which ones don't, um, especially out of high school. So you just see that, uh, yeah, I, like Applebee's just absolutely dominated the Horizon League. That is just, um, that's a little more proven production. And I know some people are still going to say like, well, it's the Horizon League. Well, um, you know, there's a lot of mistakes make it made on small guards coming out of high school because yeah, it, it is tough to evaluate. So um, versus uh, versus, yeah, you, you some bigger guards that have some versatility Their Their floor is probably a little bit higher than a small guard where, uh, um, you know, if things don't fully work out. Um, yeah, their, their floor could be a lot lower. So, um, yeah, I, I can see why I, I can definitely see why the staff is, is interested. And I think there's a very good chance that Apple BB becomes becomes a Gator. So there you go, people. Uh, could still be a full roster, and um, I also think that there's some 2020 recruiting news that is relatively imminent. Um, you know, we we should expect something in the next few weeks, uh, and I'll leave it at that. But a couple guys at Florida is looking at because um, we did have a question about a recruiting update. You know, we all know about PJ Hall, a guy that that has kind of shot up Florida's board um, is Justin Lewis, who is a forward, a pretty big one from uh, Maryland uh, and is a team mellow guy. That's the, the, the program that uh, Noah Locke played with. Uh, So there's that connection. And I think is somebody that Florida feels pretty good about right now. I don't know if Eric had a chance to look at him at all, but um top 75 big uh or large forward kind of reminds me of dorian finney smith a little bit from like a size and skill perspective uh kind of maybe underrated athleticism uh but very skilled yeah no not someone i've been able to to see a lot of but uh yeah, you were one of the guys that alerted me that I should keep an eye on it. So, uh, so that's <laughs> definitely on the list, but I will not try to uh, pretend I, I've been able to see much of them yet. Yeah, so that was kind of one of the uh, the updates that we definitely wanted to give um, folks in terms of where they're at recruiting-wise. 
Uh, not a lot has changed since our big, last big recruiting spectacular otherwise, uh, other than definitely, um, you know, the emergence of Justin Lewis and the fact that the staff, I think, feels like they can compete uh, for that particular player. So we want to do as many listener questions as we can. And uh, so, yeah, let's do it. Um, we'll start with... Kyle McGill, who asked if Isaiah Stokes can play left tackle. <laughs> uh, not anymore, I don't think. I think he lost too much weight. Yeah, so. I, yeah I mean, yeah. I, I know this is, again, <laughs> going to sound rude. There was definitely part of me that wondered when he left Florida. Like, I mean, he was a heavily recruited football player. Um, yeah. I do wonder if his time at Florida and the weight issues – have made him just just ponder if he wants to go back to football. But that maybe is a very, you know, maybe that's a rude thing to bring up right now. But it did cross my mind. So uh, we got one from uh, at since UT beat UF. Uh, good Twitter handle. Have we linked, have we been linked to any transfers? We talked about that. So we'll do the second question. How does this affect Florida's second rotation and depth with Stokes gone? Um, you know, I'm going to give that one to Eric after saying I'm not really sure Stokes was in our second rotation. Um, so I don't think it really affects it that much. From a depth standpoint, obviously, you remove a big from the roster. So, uh, you know, your margin for error, if, you know, heaven forbid anything happens to any of the bigs on the roster, becomes smaller. Um, but, you know, uh, that's really – I really see that as the only impact because I don't think Stokes was part of that second wave, Eric. Yeah, like I kind of alluded to before, to me, um, he goes into the season uh, behind Blackshear and behind Bassett and behind Gak in my mind. So I don't, especially when you're kind of pretty position locked to the center, I, I don't really see how he would have got in a lot. So I don't think that affects um, depth very much. And also going back to the first part of the question, um, transfers linked to, I mean, right now it's actually just Appleby. I mean, Tyler Scanlon was another guy, a graduate transfer that they had, um, reached out to right. he, he committed to Belmont the other day. Um, so he's off the board. Um, as far as I know right now, I think Appleby's kind of the one guy that they, uh, they're kind of in touch with. So, uh, yeah, not a lot of other names out there. Our dude, Drew Helmich wants to know, what are your thoughts on Keontae Johnson being projected to play the four and why is that good and bad? Um, I, there's part of me that definitely wishes that Florida had a couple kind of more four types to be able to play Keontae Johnson at the three a little bit more. Um, just to uh, just kind of get to see him play um, some, pr- some kind of like smaller guys on the perimeter and just be able to uh, uh, just be able to see what he could do against a little more speed versus all the like banging he had to do down low against like LSU and stuff last year. That'll probably have to do do again. Um, but at the same time, I mean, he can rebound at a very high level. Um, that's great. He was able to beat a lot of fours off the dribble. That was also great. Um, so I think it's uh, it's not bad for – yeah, it's not a bad thing at all that he's playing the four, but there is part of me that wishes uh, they had some versatility to kind of play him at the three, especially uh, some teams that have, um, you know, a big four and a big three. Um, it, it would be kind of nice at times to if we had someone who could – a more prototypical four and then Keontae Johnson playing the three. But, um, hey, Keontae Johnson's a great basketball player and just, uh, just getting him on the floor is awesome. Paul Norris asked, how much playing time does Gak get now that Stokes is gone? Um, so two things on this. One, there were some comments by Coach White uh, on the Andy Katz pod, which I think people should listen to if they haven't, where, you know, <laughs> I don't know if White was just 
kind of downplaying Gak or what he was doing, but he definitely mentioned something about, you know, Gorjak needs to be healthy, which was a little concerning, uh, to be quite honest. Um, because we'd heard that that Gorjak was doing really good. So I don't know if like they just started running and you know, with Preston Green and Gorjak was like, Oh man, it hurts again. We don't know any of that. Uh if he's good, then I think he's the backup center. That's say that's the way I see it. And and I did I did think those are some interestingly worded um <laughs> comments by way on 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 Gak. I, I but I mean I kind of understand too. I mean Especially, especially for that player, given the path he's taken, uh, until yeah. he has played basketball consistently, can you really call him healthy? But I will say that people have told me for months that he's been healthy. So, um, unless there is a chance that yeah, something happened once they've been because they've been training, they've been working hard these last few days. They've been training hard, yeah. so maybe something happened, like Neil said, which I actually hadn't thought about um, until you mentioned it. But there is a chance that could be the case. Um, but it could just be like, hey, I know he's looks healthy, but until he's played a few games or gone through you know a full off season um you know can you really say someone is healthy until they've until they've kind of like proven so maybe that was a little bit of like i think because i think he used the term get healthy maybe that which you know was even really interesting but maybe it's also maybe he meant more like prove he can stay healthy which yeah right is is very different wording so maybe i, I i'm just way off and, and totally making something or nothing but uh yeah definitely was interesting an interesting statement for sure so Gator One, by the way, Gator One at Gators twelve oh five on Twitter, uh Gator One is like a an awesome reference <laughs> to to like late nineties, early two thousands UF students and like <laughs> we because we had to have these things called Gator One cards. Um, oh and they like got us in places. <laughs> it was like your VIP. Uh so I think that's that's kind of the genesis for that, and I always think it's funny. Um, but he's, his comment about Stokes was, uh, where do you think he goes? He had that knee injury towards the end of his senior year. I don't know if he ever really got back on track from that. And I, look, I agree with that. Uh, I think definitely from a confidence standpoint and, and, you know, we never saw that, that shot that we saw on video. So I definitely agree with that in terms of where he goes. I don't know. I mean, I think he's going to get a power five look because somebody will take a flyer on that skill set in the power five. But I also understand Eric's position that like, that also would kind of defy what we know about basketball right now. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's Tennessee who just, of course, had a scholarship open up from a player who uh, had to uh, be, had to leave the program due to failing a drug test. Not that that related to anything to do with uh, Kerry Blackshear's recruitment or anything necessarily. Yeah. I heard that but, was total nonsense. But so. uh, anyways, it was interesting yeah. that that report maybe. Uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, so, I mean, they've got an open scholarship at a time that it is pretty difficult to fill a scholarship right now. So, uh, yeah, just, would they have interest in, in Stokes? It certainly seems like their fans have interest in Stokes. Um, and, I mean, good reason why with the name on his jersey and um, being from the state. And just, uh, you know, to, to, to use up a scholarship, it was, it, you know, maybe you could do worse than, than Stokes right now. So uh, there's definitely a chance that happens. Uh, other than that, yeah, it's, it's tough to say. Like I said, I mean, if I am a, if I'm a coach of a – like. <laughs> I feel like there's so many coaches who see players like that and say like, Hey, like if I coach them, um, things would be different. Uh, you know, like there's so many coaches that I feel have the the pride to think that, Hey, I know the players had problems in another program, but as soon as I coach them, like I can fix that. Um, maybe there's some like that, but um, I think a lot of coaches should, you know, just maybe consider like, Hey, do you see players like this having great success? Hey, is there something that I think I can do to um, make him healthier than he's been over the last few years? Um, yeah, but for that reason, yeah, if he goes power five, uh, 
would make I'd be a little bit shocked, uh, maybe not a ton shocked. Um, and uh, if he were to, uh, you know, if he were to go mid major, I'd probably be a little bit less shocked. But I mean, the the other thing to consider too is, I you you know Applebee's now in the portal. I think he becomes the best available transfer. You look at everything else out there. Isaiah Stokes might be the next best available transfer. And therefore, if you are a team that a power five team that just has a scholarship and believes in filling them. Um, yeah. There's you know, why not Stokes? Yeah, no doubt. Um, the next question is from Jake P. He wants to know what are the odds we land Tyree Appleby? We said pretty good. Yes. Um, and how much of an impact can Omar Payne have this year? Um, I am someone who I was not always majorly impressed watching Payne play in, in high school, but I will give the caveat of that is an extremely difficult evaluation setting at Montford just due to the depth they have. Um, I mean, he was getting into games that were already out of hand by the, you know, two minutes left in the first quarter. Yeah. So yeah. So it wasn't, it was a tough evaluation setting. Um, I will say people are telling me that he looks excellent right now in, uh, in workouts with Florida. Um, someone told me he measured at six foot 10 the other day, which was taller than he was listed at. So, um, that would be pretty neat. Um, and, but yeah, they're saying he moves really well. And I think that maybe he is, uh, he's someone who's, uh, I, I I've kind of mentally started to slot into as, as thinking someone that I might be playing the backup for and Florida. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, um, while, while I wasn't super impressed, um, with what I saw in, in, in high school, which was, you know, not a ton, truthfully, I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on, on Payne's game. Um, the people at recruiting services really like him. People that are at University of Florida right now that are telling me he's doing really good. I trust them. And therefore, I am very willing to say, though I maybe didn't see the best out of him, he's much better than I think. And it's looking like he could be, a, could be the backup four. Yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, I think he's going to be a guy that is going to play no matter what. He's a little bit more like uh, Spidey, you know, with, with uh, you know, just kind of ability to to protect the rim and maybe he can rim run a little bit as a freshman, which would be uh, a kind of a different thing than, than Spidey, but that's cool. Um, we, we would certainly take it uh, as a, as a backup guy who's, a, who's an energy player and I expect him to play, you know, people, he, he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle with uh, the hype around the McDonald's all Americans and obviously with Blackshear and, you know, really highly recruited player, big recruiting victory. So, uh, you know, I, I certainly would expect that he'll have some influence um, as a freshman, Tanner Lefevre wants to know if Alex Klatsky will become a rotation player before his career at UF is over and ask, how's that for a deep cut? Oh, uh, I, I like deep cut. Yeah, it's a really good deep cut. And, um, I mean, I like his jump shot, you know, I think it's all going to come down to like, is he just overwhelmed if he's on the floor at this level from a defensive standpoint? Hey, I mean, he's a he's a two star recruit. Like, this isn't maybe like you know this isn't your normal walk on. Right. I would say if you took any insert any random two star recruit, um, not to say that that's what Alex Klasky is, but if you just take a random two star recruit and uh, put him in a Power Five program for three or four years, um, will he become a rotation player in his senior year? Um, I, I would say probably. So right. Uh, yeah. So I, I I think he I think he could. Um, He'd shoot the basketball for sure. And I think if he can defend and continue to shoot the ball, I don't see why he couldn't get some time on the floor. And, um, you know what? I, I even talked to, I'm, 
I'm going to plead. A little, I'm actually just going to say that I am actually a little bit ignorant. I don't actually know exactly how this works. But when I first spoke to to, to Klatsky when he first committed uh, last summer, or maybe it was September by then, but um, he mentioned to me something just in passing about redshirting his first year, which I don't really know how that like you know works with the walk on versus red. But but yeah, so if he becomes a like a fifth year walk on senior. Um, as a two-star recruit, I don't, I don't see why he can't play. I think he'll be able to shoot the ball. He'll be able to come in for some stretches and, and, uh, and defend at a high enough level and hit some shots and, and be a rotation player. So I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to call some, some 2023 Alex Klasky action. I like it. I like it. This seems like a, that seems like a pretty good shout. Um, let's see. Chris Herbert tells us that Blackshear's down to Tennessee and Kentucky and that a decision is coming soon. That's true, although I've heard that he may visit Memphis before uh, deciding whether or not to rule out Texas A&M and Virginia Tech. Just got to follow the, follow the money trail, <laughs> as they say. It. Follow the bags. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Diane Larson, what are your thoughts on Hudson Hayes Allen Summer League? Right up your alley. Yeah, well, I mean, right now, uh, Kavari Hayes and Kayvon Allen are without a summer league home. So I'll be interested yeah. to see if they get on a roster uh, a little bit later. Um, I'm probably most surprised to see that Kavari Hayes is not on a roster right now. Um, Kayvon Allen, I mean, it's just like... He's going to Europe, man. If he wants to play, yeah, he's, I, got, he's got to leave the United States. There's just so many guards. I mean, that's just the toughest. As yeah. a six foot two guard, that's just the most competitive position there is in basketball right now. So you look at each summer league team, even though there's 30 of them and say like each team probably wants two or three, six foot two guards. Um, Is he in the 140 range? And this is of course, not just this recruiting class. This is the last several recruiting classes and it's, yeah, it's tough. You know what Kamari says? I I really thought he would get a a look from someone. Um, I just think he was one of the best defense players in college basketball last year. And therefore I think that that would be uh, an interesting player who also had some pretty good, Pretty good athleticism. Um, can do some pretty good vertical spacing on the pick and roll. I, I really hope someone gives him a chance on their summer league team. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Jalen Hudson's already played a few summer league games because he's in that California Classic where there's four right. teams at. So he's already played a couple of games and um, has hit a couple shots and hit a couple floaters when I watched. So uh, so good for him. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I uh, I would say that I, I'm most interested to see if Kavaris Hayes gets uh, an invitation to someone's summer league. Awesome. Good stuff. Matt Perry wants to know if we have any concerns about player development slash long-term depth, given the large number of transfers. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I, I really like, we kind of talked about this at the beginning of the show and I feel like they just kind of flipped and upgraded the roster, to be honest. I mean, yes. I, w- what I would say is that this season they they know that they're rebuilding in a year. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be terrible. Uh, I think that they are insulating themselves from that by bringing in like Anthony Derugy and, you know, maybe bringing in Appleby uh, just so that they have some veterans around. But look, I, I think the biggest thing to answer that question, Matt, is it's kind of, I shouldn't say no, I should say to be determined based on like this recruiting class is really important. Yeah. I, I don't really have any, any fear of player development. And I mean, you look at some of the guys, Yeah, like, I have no development fear, no development fear. I mean, and I think that the transfers out are just something that happens, but I'm also someone who 
um, at least in, in terms of kind of like personal skill um, kind of development. Like, like when it comes to Michael Caro not able to get a consistent jump shot, I'm just not, I just don't really put that on the staff. And I see what DeAndre Ballard was like coming out of high school and just had so much struggle with kind of concepts of the game and, I, yeah, I know he didn't get a lot better, but I just see where he started from. And that was just a tough, tough task. If someone doesn't understand, you know, if someone doesn't understand uh, kind of the flow of the game, it's, it's, there's just so much to do there. And I see Isaiah Stokes, um, you know, weight problems um, is what it is with him and Chase Johnson had concussions. So, I mean, it's just, I just don't really see it as an issue. Um, I turned on summer league to watch the Philadelphia 76ers and Milwaukee bucks. And uh, because they have no foul out limit, um, Florida state's Chris Kumaji just picked up his seventh foul in the third quarter. So uh, that's your summer league update for right now. But um, the, uh, yeah, just in terms of player development, I, I don't I don't have any fear. Yeah, no, I mean, and that, that's kind of where I'm at. I, you know, I've been a long advocate of the belief that yes, coaches help players develop Um particularly like the intellectual side of basketball and, and like how to recognize certain tendencies and scouts and stuff like that. And, um, you know, they can help players with drop step moves and, and kind of post footwork, but players really are the determ the determinative factor. Like what do they put into it? Um, how invested are they really? I think is, is the biggest thing. Maybe it's just that we're two coaches. So like we don't want to yeah. well, <laughs> take any, but I really do think that's what it is. Yeah, and I would also point to to just the um, the hours restriction of the NCAA that dictates how many hours you can practice. Yeah, of course. When it gets yeah. to uh, most of the season, I mean, you don't really have as much individual time, and that's up to the players that are coming to the gym um, in their afternoon once class is done to get shots up. And um, while not naming any names, I mean, I've been told by some people in the staff, you know, like who is putting in the time and, and who wasn't, and I would say it, um, while not saying any names, I would say it pretty accurately <laughs> reflected who developed and who got minutes and the players who didn't put in the time on their own time were the players that did not get minutes and did not develop. That is my very thinly veiled statement. There you go. Um, Jason Kessler, will you be buying tickets to the 2020 Florida Baylor National Basketball Championship in Atlanta? Jason... Uh, first of all, if I ever, if Eric ever gets into head coaching, I'll recommend that you're his agent because nobody <laughs> works harder than you do for Scott Drew. Um, but, uh, no, I'm not buying my tickets for the national championship for Baylor yet, but I will, if I'm promised by Mike White or someone related to the program that they will bring in Chris Chioza as a consultant to eviscerate Scott Drew's zone again. <laughs> you know what? Buy, buy tickets. I'll say no. I'm going to hope to get credentialed for that. That'll be my, <laughs> that'll be my answer to Jason's question. But, hey, Baylor's looking good this year. And I know Jason is a Jason, massive, massive Gators fan. Also a big, big, uh, big Drew fan. So a big huge uh, fan, fan of so, the Baylor Bears. So, uh, huge fan. And they're actually looking really good this year. So they are. Um, yeah, that's yeah. So for those of you who are yeah, just generally interested in college college basketball, past just the Gators. Uh, yeah, Baylor's a great team this year, and uh, probably don't want the Gators to match up with them in the NCAA tournament um, unless it's the finals. That'll work. I'll take that. Um, the uh, the other big point that we wanted to get into is kind of something that we'll probably have to save for next show, which was going to be. 
uh, rules changes because <laughs> we're like getting pushing up on an hour and you know here we are not addressing the the college rules changes again so that's fine i think that we kind of needed to get into the uh the uh god what am i saying we needed to get into the stoke situation again first and all these listener questions are more important than us rambling on about uh rules changes one last recruiting note um both andre carbello and moses moody who are uh players on florida's 2020 board uh had a lot of fun at a tournament this last week i'll try to retweet some highlights for everybody to watch but they were on the same team and it was a pretty loaded backport and so uh that's kind of exciting and we'll close with our usual sarah and tampa question which is uh Hey guys, how do you see the SEC now that the transfer season is closed? Parentheses, assuming Isaiah doesn't go to Tennessee, but that wouldn't change much anyway. Ooh, <laughs> uh, I mean, Eric, yeah, I, that's a great question. I mean, uh, I'm sure we'll get into a little more of the SEC kind of. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have guests like, uh, on. <laughs> yes, um, but I mean, I, I do think Florida. You know, a lot of people are gonna have maybe Kentucky ahead of them. Um, I would say they're pretty close. Kentucky looks good, but I mean, you look at the other teams that were kind of at the top of the conference um, from last year. Uh, LSU is going to be, I think, a good team still, but uh, but not as strong. Uh, Tennessee, good team, not as strong. Auburn, not quite as strong. So I do think that the SEC generally is is down a little bit from last year, um, but it's still a very good league, of course. I mean, any Power Five league, um, that's not the Pac-12, of course. They have uh, they have the ability to be terrible, but um, of the other um, the other four. And uh, the Big East, yeah, they're always going to be good. But I would say that this is a slightly easier uh, SEC than than last year and maybe even the year before. So uh, the fact that that coincides with the best and most talented Florida team uh, is probably pretty beneficial. So I'll say to Sarah that I think um, Kentucky and Florida are, you know, Captain Obvious, I think, are the best teams. Uh, I really like Florida's backcourt better um, with, with Nimhard, who I think, you know, can really become a star this season and uh, a healthy Noah Locke and Trey Mann, uh Quez Glover as like the fourth guy. That's just a different type of guard. You know, that's a pretty dynamic college backcourt. Um, and then, you know, you mesh that with Scotty Lewis and Kerry Blackshear who are kind of like these uh, intellectual players that, um, you know, one of them has off the charts athleticism and defensive ability, and the other one is maybe the best offensive post in college basketball. So, pretty good balance. That's a top ten roster, man. It's a top ten roster. Um, second tier of the SEC, like Eric said, is kind of really the more interesting one to me. I really like Alabama. I like the way that their roster looks. I don't know if they'll be able to play the way we talked about it a little bit that NATO wants to play for 40 minutes in a power five league. I think that that's going to be challenging, but it's a good roster. And then uh, those dudes from Ole Miss came back, right, Eric? So they should be pretty good. Yeah, that is one thing I, I will say um, with the exception of, you know, Vanderbilt going through their change. I mean, you look at the bottom of the league and I do think Georgia is going to be better with obviously their. Yeah, they'll be better. Um, Texas A&M, I think is going to be better. Um, and, uh, yeah, even, even Missouri, I, I mean, just getting a little bit healthier and I, I think that they might be a little, so I think the bottom of the league, um, is going to be a little bit stronger than, than last year. Um, and I do think there's a lot of intrigue in that kind of, like you mentioned, the second tier, uh, Mississippi state is another one that, that should be pretty interesting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I do think this is, um, 
Well, I mean, another team always seems to emerge, um, but I do think it'll be Florida, Kentucky battling out for the top. And uh, I'm sure a mystery team will get in the mix there too. And, and Alabama actually might be a good, um, a good candidate for a little bit of a dark horse. And so we last one is because uh, I was wrong about the last one. I missed one on Twitter. We have Ben M, one of my players, who uh, asked about you know Florida's offense with Blackshear and whether they'll be able to do some different things. And I can't believe I missed this one because I was talking to Eric about it before we started recording for you all uh, about this. And I think we've kind of talked about how obviously they can play inside out now. Um, we think that they can run a lot more stuff. But another thing that maybe they conceptually can do is play a little of this four out, one in. We saw it with Virginia Tech. We saw uh, certainly Jay Wright has kind of made it famous in college. Um, but, I, you know, I think Florida will really have the ability to space the floor and, and do that a little bit. And I think that they have two kind of players that fill uh, the slot high position, which is usually occupied by either a power forward or a kind of bigger wing that can drive um, somebody that can draw a big out towards the free throw line, which makes it a little bit harder to help. Right, Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida's got a couple guys that can do that. Namely Scotty Lewis and Scotty on offense. We haven't really talked a lot about because everybody's talking about, Oh, Trey man can beat you off the bounce. Oh, now you have Kerry Blackshear. Oh, well, Andrew Dimpart's such a gifted passer. And so like, I thought it was a great question because Scotty Lewis plus Blackshear equals whole different wrinkle that they can add if they need to. Yeah, having another kind of just straight line driver who's athletic enough to attack a closeout, get right to the hoop, and Scotty Lewis. Um, while we're talking Scotty Lewis and Blackshear, uh, I, quick shout out to uh, to Will Salmon from the yeah, uh, great article from uh, from the Athletic. Uh, his piece with the that was on the Blackshear situation was awesome. Got some very very good quotes. And one of the best quotes I would say was um, from Kerry Blackshear talking about um, how he was really excited to play with uh, with Scotty Lewis and also talk about yeah, Scotty Lewis's cool? um, maturity. Um, so that was really awesome. Um, Will, you're awesome. Uh, well done. Uh, but yeah, it was just cool to see that Blackshear um, just kind of mentioned Scotty Lewis as one of the one of the big draws to to Florida. Um, but yeah, what just a, a bit of what Scotty can do just on the floor. Uh, uh, even he is going to be a little bit of a threat to shoot off the dribble. I know he's really working on that, so that'll be interesting. Can add a different element. Um, but uh, yeah, if Florida wants to play more motion this year, they certainly could with Scotty Lewis and, and Trey Mann in the mix. And I do think that Scotty Lewis's just athleticism, ability to beat a guy um, just in a straight line without needing to kind of uh, put together dribble combinations is going to be going to be really helpful. Yeah, and I mean, I was like really basic explanation of like why Lewis or Keontae are important to that offense. But one of the more central figures is that if you have an offensive post, it's a lot easier to run. And there's a whole lot going on with that. But there's also the shooting component. So it just comes with roster balance somewhat to answer Ben's question. It's like the more balanced your roster are naturally, there's more things you can kind of put in. Yeah, and uh, one more thing just about the question about, like, Blackshear being used. I I really thought – I did an article a couple weeks ago or maybe two weeks ago, right before Blackshear's decision, just about how Florida um, did use their post last year. And I think that they just ran so much more for their post than people ever realized, um, and they just weren't realized in in buckets. But, I mean, they actually got some some decent looks for for Isaiah Stokes and Dante Bassett and and Hayes at times. Um, They just weren't converted at a super high rate. But, I mean, if you give those same looks to – um, to Blackshear, I think it'll be um, really interesting. But there's, uh, I-, I tweeted out some film of this as well, but especially off a of baseline out of bounds, 
um, where they would uh, they would kind of clear out for a quick post up. I could definitely see them doing that off baseline out of bounds, um, getting a quick kind of clear out post up one on one for Blackshear. Um, there's also one of the sets on the Princeton offense where um, kind of the big like Kavaris Hayes would pass it to the wing and then get a back screen from from Nemhart for a quick post up, or if the player got the defender got really hung up on the screen, a layup, and uh, they got some just like really you know decent looks for out of that. Um, decent looks weren't really getting finished last year, but with uh, Blackshear, those decent looks uh, should be finished. So uh, there was some stuff as I was kind of going through that, um, that kind of film that I was like, oh yeah, this will be really helpful with Blackshear. So uh, that's our show this week. We're going to try to get into some uh, guests to kind of paint the national landscape picture on our next show. Uh, I got to talk to actually our next two shows should be guests um, with me and Eric to give Eric a chance to fire away at these guys. Um, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to look, we'll try to do a recruiting update in one of them as well, everybody. Cause I know we get a lot of, I get a lot of shouts for the like recruiting updates. So, you know, you'll put us back to work on that, I guess. And uh, <laughs> in terms of, you know, anything that else that happens with Appleby and rule changes, we also want to address. So there's plenty to talk about still as we roll forward um, with summer ball. Thanks for listening, and, uh, you know, remember to get on iTunes, give us a rating and stuff. Bye-bye.